This is the New Life Rancho Vista podcast. We are a church committed to loving God, growing together, and serving others. Our prayer and desire is that this message from our campus pastor, Peter Moore, will be a help and an encouragement to you, regardless of where you are in your relationship with Jesus. So let's open our hearts and minds as we turn our attention to the incredible truths God has for us today. Uh, today is the lie of shame. And, you know, if, if, if you're anything like me, and maybe you're like, man, I need this message already. Uh, but if you're anything like me, I, I, I come to a message like this, and you're like, I don't think I deal with a whole lot of shame. And the reality is, that's a lie. We all deal with guilt and shame. And I was really confronted with that this week, that everyone in some way, shape, or form is bound by the chains of shame. So I want to go to Psalm 119. I want to go to verse 39. We're going to be studying the verses before and after this verse. But verse 39 says, turn away my reproach. That's the shame he's talking about. My reproach which I fear. For thy judgments are good. And so we've been on an eight-week journey to say, we're going to compare what we think is good. We're going to compare what we say is good, what we look at as good. And we're going to compare what we're believing as a lie with what God says is good. Because what I say is good and what God says is good are two different things. And so we're going to, to, to really contrast the lie of shame with the truth of forgiveness and grace. Now, I will tell you, this is a very simple message. But I think that if, you, if, if, if you'll go with me here and, and just kind of have an open heart to some of the things that the Word of God has for us today, I think it will be help. Because more practically, what we want to do is we want to close the gap between where we are and how we view ourselves and, and where God, uh, how God views us and where God wants us to be. Now, my sister, I had two sisters who lived in London. They've since moved. And uh, when you ride on the tube, there are these signs everywhere that say, mind the gap. And there's even a guy uh, with an iconic voice who comes over this loudspeaker, you know, mind the gap, you know, and, and you're, you're going, uh, you know, from one train to another or from a platform. And, and sometimes there's an eight or a 10 inch gap. Sometimes there's a gap that you could fall in. Your kids could fall in. I mean, that's a serious thing. You got to mind the gap. Now there's one gap that you can't mind without the word of God. And it's the gap between who you are and who you say you are and who God says you are. No one in this, in this, under this tent or listening on the radio, no one can mind that gap without understanding the truth uh, that God has for us in this passage. So there are 176 verses in Psalm 119. And the majority of the verses are David, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, explaining what God says about us and who God says we are in him. Starting with verse number one. Now look in your notes. Verse number one says this. Blessed are the undefiled in the way. And then it says, who walk in the law of the Lord. Now, if I had, a raise, if I had to ask for a raise of hands of anyone who felt like they were completely undefiled, there would be no hands because the very raising of your hand would defile you in some way. But this is the first section. This is the first verse. Right out of the gate, he's, he's telling us what he's wanting us to understand, that there is an undefilement that can come not based on our own merit, but based on the merit that God gives to us. You see, this is the first section which coordinates the alphabet 
and it and it says it's the it's the letter Aleph, and the Hebrew letter Aleph in the in the Hebrew alphabet is is it's a pictograph of a head. In fact, if you take the letter A, the capital letter A, and you turn it sideways, it looks like a a a, a drawing of a livestock. You ever notice that? So that's where we get our letter A is from the Hebrew letter Aleph or the Greek letter uh, Alpha, right? And, and it's head. It's first. It's, it's preeminent. It, it actually coordinates with God's name Adonai, which is the Hebrew name for God that means sovereign above all, right? And so it, it, it's, it's telling us that because God has spoken, everything else needs to be silenced. Now, God is going to speak to you today. But here's the reality. You're going to speak to you today. And what I want you to understand is that God's voice has to drown out our voice or the world's voice around us, about us. And so here's a key thought. In order to have a correct view of ourselves, we must first have a proper view of God. Now, there are two truths that combat the lie of shame that I want you to see. There are two truths about God. Now, I want you to, I want you to circle something. I want you to really apply this to yourself. Number one, God forgives guilt and he renames shame. What does that mean? Well, in verse 38, it tells us that, that David's prayer is to establish thy word unto thy servant. Then he says, who is devoted, everyone say devoted, who is devoted to thy fear. Wait a second. Devoted to fear? That doesn't sound like a good thing. Well, the word fear here, when we're talking about being devoted to fear, it's the Hebrew word yaira. It means a constant awareness. So it's not being afraid in the sense that you are cowering in, in fear, um, but it's a healthy reverence. It's a view of something as extremely awesome. It's an awareness. And letter A, I want you to notice in your notes that awareness grows either guilt or it grows forgiveness. It either go, grows your guilt or it grows your forgiveness. Now here's the crazy thing about shame. Guilt and shame grow if you focus on them. You ever notice that? Guilt and shame grow as you focus on them. And our guilt often, and the lie of, one of the greatest lies of shame is, I created my reasons for guilt. I committed those things. I did those things. I, so my guilt is my own. And so because my guilt is my fault, I have to do something to make my guilt right. And so people, what do, what do they do? They try to make up for their guilty conscience by doing something good, right? Thinking, oh, well, I need to dig myself out of this hole. And the, and the problem with digging yourself out of a hole is it turns into a tunnel. <laughs> and, and, and it's a tunnel that you can't bear the weight. And here's why you can't bear the weight of that tunnel of guilt and shame. Here's why. Because have you ever noticed the word guilt? The word guilt is all about you. And the center letter in the word guilt should remind us that it's all about me. It's the letter I. Guilt and shame really are just a self-centered pursuit. And, and we need to understand that. Johnny, I'm going to give you these. You can, you can hold on to these. Not because I think you're guilty or, or uh, in need of that, but you can help me with that. Um, and so an awareness of, of our guilt, okay, can crush us. I'm going to give you this one as well. An awareness of our guilt can crush us. But, it's, but an awareness of how great God is can free us. Now, let me illustrate this. And I just, I, I think in, in kind of practical terms, okay? So bear with me. I, I know this sounds, some of these illustrations may be really simplistic to you, but they help me to kind of 
contextualize and understand what God's trying to teach us through his word. When he says that, when David says, I want to be devoted to your fear, he's saying, God, I want to be devoted to an awareness of how great you are so that I'm not so overwhelmed with how bad I am. And, and we focus on our sin in order, to, in order to remove it to the point that we're obsessed about not doing the sin and we end up doing it. And so as one pastor said, what we resist persists. And so uh, we, ha- we have these uh, bolt cutters, and we actually had to get them because uh, several of our locks kept freezing up out at the school. And so uh, we, we, we found out we needed something like this. And, and the crazy thing about these bolt cutters is um, they can cut right through anything. I mean, metal, you know, wood, it doesn't matter. And, um, and, and, but I thought, man, it would be terrible to get your finger stuck in one of these, wouldn't it? I mean, it would, it would just cut right through it. It would be horrible, right? So here's, here's what I'm talking about. These, are, these represent the awareness that we have. It's a tool. It's a tool that you can use to cut off your fingers, but it's also a tool that you can use to cut off some fetters. And awareness can free us or it can keep us in bondage. It is what we're focusing on the most that matters. And so we have to come back to, are we going to be afraid of, of, our, of our weaknesses are we going to be focused on uh, and aware of our guilt more than we are aware of what God has done, uh, done for us? So you see, awareness is a tool that can be used to beat yourself up for what you've done wrong or to free yourself because of what Christ has done right. You see, Christ died to make us aware of his forgiveness. So here's a key thought. That guilt is when we are aware of what is wrong, but forgiveness happens when we are aware of how God has what God has done to make it right. So the psalmist knew this. In, in Psalm 103, in verse number 10, it says, He hath not dealt, dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far he has removed our transgressions from us. How many of you are thankful for the forgiveness of God? How many are thankful that we don't have to be uh, bound by the fetters because an awareness of who God is, it breaks those chains. It breaks those shackles. It frees us. Why? Because God uh, frees us through forgiveness. Letter B. Shame faults the sinner, but God renames the saint. Shame faults the sinner, but God renames the saint. Now, what's a saint? <laughs> is, it, is it something in a cathedral? Is it, is it something that, you know, is a statue? Is it something that or- orthodoxy points to and calls someone something with a title, saint, whatever? Well, actually, the, the, the word saint just is the beginning of sanctified. It means set apart, called out for a purpose. And so the true definition and meaning of a saint is someone who is called out of their sin that doesn't need to remain in it anymore. So how can our awareness of God be so much greater than our awareness of sin that it separates us from the guilt, it separates us from the shame and the sin? Well, let's look at this verse. Verse 38, it says, establish thy word unto thy servant. We've looked at the word established before. It's the, word, it's the Hebrew word qualm. It means to establish, to stand up, to strengthen, but it also means to belong. 
And so what he's saying is he's saying, I, I want your word to belong to me and my word to be, a, be identified with you to the point of releasing my guilt. You see, guilt is being aware of our mistakes, but shame is being afraid you are the mistake. And guilt is, and guilt and shame, they label uh, and rename and reframe what we've done to make it permanent, a permanent part of our identity. In fact, a, a great lie of shame that we tell ourselves, that I tell myself, is I am who I am based on what I've done. You know, I've, I, you know if, if you slack off in an area, you think, ah, I'm just a lazy bum. <laughs> you know, you, you, you're not truthful in a matter, and you're like, ah, I'm just such a liar. Why did I say that? Why did I do that? You, you know, you have a pattern of sin in your life like we all have, and you just say, I'm such a sinner. And the problem is you're speaking over to yourself lies because as a blood-bought child of God, when you receive Christ, when you accept Christ as your Savior, you accept the truth of the real you, the new you, and there's a new name that gets past shame, and it is the name saint. So here's a key thought. The moment, at the moment of salvation, you were a sinner. How many of you would agree with that, with that, okay? At the moment of salvation, you were a sinner. That was saved by grace. Grace is the unmerited favor of God. So, so God loved you, and he gave his son for you, and when you received that gift of forgiveness, you were a sinner that was saved by grace, but now you are named a saint that is empowered to, to have the power over sin. So the problem that I, I see in my own life and I see in Christians' lives is they remain, they keep the label sinner, and they throw away or toss aside the label saint. And instead of being a sinner saved by grace, that was at the moment of salvation. Now you're a saint that sometimes sins. Do you see the difference? And so the question is, well, how do we, how do we speak a new word over ourselves? Not a word of condemnation, not a word of just an expectation of sin, but an expectation of sanctification, an expectation of dominance over sin, an expectation of victory. How do we do that? Well, this is what he says. He says, establish thy word. The word word is emra. It means utterance or speech or a command, but this is how he uses it. He says, thy mercies come unto me, O Lord, even thy salvation according to thy word, thy emra. He says, so shall I have to answer every man that reproacheth me, anyone who would, who would cause me shame. Who's David talking about? David, who's causing you shame? He says in verse 43, take not thy word out of my mouth, for I have hoped in thy judgments. Do you know who David was talking about who was causing him so much guilt and shame? Himself. No one binds me with condemnation like I do. No one brings self-doubt and hatred on, on myself like I do. And so David said, according to thy word, I want to live, that I may not be ashamed of thy hope. Now I want to bring you, your attention to your notes to Revelation 12. I don't, I don't have the time to give you the context. Maybe this afternoon we'll dive into that if you would like to. But Revelation 12 is a prophetic uh, chapter. It's, it's revealing what's going to happen uh, to, to Satan. And it says in verse number 10, I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now is come salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren, of the brethren, 
of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. Did you know Satan accuses you before God day and night? You, did you see what she did? Did you see what he did? Ah, oh, Peter's at it again. He, he's, he, oh, look at how small his faith is. He's accusing you day and night. But listen, it's not over. And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto the death. Friend, we can overcome the accuser, whether it's Satan, yourself, or those around you. You can overcome the accuser by the word of your testimony and by the blood of the lamb. And so the next time Satan wants to accuse you of who you were, I want you to remind him of who you are in Christ. You see, the lie of shame says you'll never get past your past. But the next time the devil wants to remind you of your past, friend, I want you to remind him of his future. He's going to be cast down. He's going to be locked up. Friend, there is no accusation. There is no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. So Psalm 40 says, Withhold not thy tender mercies from me, O Lord. Thy loving kindness and truth continually preserve me. Why, David, in Psalm 40? Why, why do you say this? Well, he says in Psalm 40, and verse 12, For innumerable evils have comp um, compassed me about. Mine iniquities have taken hold on me so that I am not able to look up. Have you ever been so ashamed you can't even look someone in the eye? That's what he's talking about. God, I can't even look up and, and, and pretend you're there because I'm so guilty. I'm so ashamed. They are more uh, than the hairs on my head. Some of you who don't have very many hairs on your head, you're thankful for that verse. <laughs> therefore, by the way, I'm losing mine quickly. Uh, therefore, my heart faileth me. Have you ever been so sick that you said something? Man, I have. Have you ever been so, like, ashamed that you thought something? I have. We're in good company. <laughs> because David says, my heart faileth me. So why, didn't he, why did he write, you know, a few psalms later in Psalm 119, 39, take away my reproach? Because he had felt it before. He said, take away my reproach. The word reproach is, is the Hebrew word karath. It means uh, hated, uh, self-hatred, disgrace, uh, to blame yourself for something, self-criticism or accusation. But it, it literally means the heaping of shame to the point of taunting. And I played high school football, and, and I will tell you one thing that the refs just would not tolerate, and, tolerate, and that was taunting. Unsportsmanlike conduct, which unsportsman is not a word, but they all would always use it. You know, unsportsmanlike conduct. Um, 15, you know, yards, first automatic first down. Why, why, why is taunting so, so, so damaging? It's, it's because it, it brings us down. It's, it's hurtful, and no one taunts me like I taunt myself, and no one taunts you like you taunt yourself. And so David said, remove from me reproach and contempt, that self-hatred. You know, Paul talked about this in, in, in Romans 7 and verse 23. He talked about that self-loathing. He said, I see a, another law in my members warring against the law of my mind. So he's battling in his mind about something. What is it? Bringing me into captivity of the law of sin, which, are, uh, which is in my members. Oh, wretched man that I am. Oh, wretched man that I am. Who shall deliver me from this body of death? You say, Paul, you're one of the greats, man. 
How could you possibly say, oh, wretched man, like, like, bro, you're killing the game. You're, God's using you. You're, you're writing scripture, the Holy Spirit. I mean, Paul's been to heaven. I mean, come on, how could he possibly write that? And he says, listen, I feel so wretched. I feel so wrong. But, but he says in verse 25, I love this. Thank God through Christ Jesus, our Lord, so that with my mind, with the mind I myself, serve the law of God and with the flesh the law of sin. He said, listen, I'm going to serve something, and I'm not going to serve my past. I'm not going to be subservient to anything but Christ. You see, when, when David says, establish thy word unto thy servant, the word thy my servant in Hebrew is the word abed, and it means to be an attendant. It means to, to be in bondage because of battle, but it also means someone who is willfully subservient. And I will tell you, we're either going to serve our guilt and serve our shame and serve our past, or we're going to serve our king. That's why Paul turned the corner in, in chapter 8. He says, there is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus who walk after the, not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. We have a choice to make. What are we going to do with the shame? You say, I, I already have those negative emotions. I already have that shame. What do I do with it? Friend, I want to tell you something that I'm not really proud of. When I was 10 years old, I was given a pocket knife, old, small pocket knife. It looked much like this. I think they're called old-timers. And uh, super sharp. My dad said, that's for camping. It's, it, you know, it's, it's I'm, I'm giving you this, but you need to be responsible with it. And so the exact same talk I gave to Camden. This is Camden's. And, uh, and he's like, you know, you, you only cut things that need to be cut. And he walked through it, you know, cut away from yourself. He gave me all the safety tips. And the, later that day when he left, I was with my sisters. My sisters were somewhere else. I was in the dining room, and I thought, oh, what can I cut? <laughs> I'm looking around, and... And we had these really nice, we, 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 we had fixed up this house. It was completely thrashed. And, and uh, I think my dad bought it for, I want to say $50,000. I mean, it was, it, was, it was a steal of a deal. And, uh, but we fixed it up. They, were, they had parked their motorcycles in our living room. So, I mean, it was oil and it was just a mess. But we fixed it up. And, but the, one nice, the nicest part of that house is it had big oak doors throughout the entire house. And I thought, how nice would it look for my initials to be carved into the dining room door? And I went to town. And I mean, I did not carve, carve it small, friends. I carved it loud and proud. I mean, it was, it was, I was in there. I mean, you could just see it. I was proud of it. I was so proud of it until my dad got home. Man, wow. He was not happy. And, and, and I was like, well, come on. Look at how good it looks. I left my mark. And here's the thing. When, when, when we leave our mark, all of a sudden, you know, it went from this moment of, yeah, I, I did that, to, oh, oh, I did that. <laughs> oh, I can't believe I did that. And the older I got, the more I was ashamed. People come over to our house, <laughs> I know who did that. As a teenager, oh, come on. Pete, how could you possibly do that to your parents? You know, Every, I mean, and, and, I, and I often thought to myself, why didn't we sand it down? Why didn't we take that off? You know, the reality is, I can tell that story without any guilt and shame. Do you know why? I don't live there anymore. Friends, let me just tell you something about your, your shame and your guilt. You don't live there anymore. 
That's in the past, and it's either covered by the blood or it's not. I don't know who lives at 396 uh, 26th Street Southeast in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, but I will tell you it's not me, and I'm not planning on visiting anytime soon, so I don't know what's carved in stone or in wood in your past, but friend, you don't live there anymore. You don't have to go back there. You, friend, you're not heading in the direction of your past. You're heading in the direction of your future, and so condemnation and guilt and shame, they have no rule over the redeemed. And I've lived so many moments in guilt and shame because of what I've done. And God says, hey, hey, wait a second. What about what I've done? What, what about what I did for you on the cross of Christ? And so number one, God forgives guilt and renames shame. But number two, God convicts with truth and accepts by grace. Now, if guilt is so bad, then what's conviction? You ever thought about that? How can guilt be bad? I mean, if we never have any guilt or shame, then, then we're all just a bunch of sociopaths that can do whatever we want, right? I mean, doesn't, isn't that kind of the logical conclusion? So, so then why does God talk so much about conviction if he doesn't want us to feel any guilt for anything wrong that we've done? Well, conviction is what corrects deception, I want, to, I want you to see that. Letter A, conviction corrects deception. And this is what David said. He said, turn away my reproach. Notice, notice he, he, he's using that, that phrase, turn away. It's the word abar. It means to pass over, to alienate. But it literally means to send away with a push. <laughs> Just to give a little shove. Like, no, no, no. You, you, don't, you don't belong here. So he said, turn away my reproach. Now, the, the reason I believe that David used this is because he was contrasting what the end of the verse says, for thy judgments are good. See, my judgments of my mistakes, they're not good. But God's judgments of my mistakes, they are good. My judgments lead me to self-condemnation and self-doubt. God's judgments lead me to correction and, and, and to perfection, right, to progress. And so here's a key thought. Guilt is the weight felt from something that was wrong. Conviction is the weight felt from something that is right. So if, you, if you're feeling the weight of something you can't change, that's guilt. But if you're feeling the weight of something you need to change, that's conviction. And so guilt is what we feel in response to things that we literally cannot change. But conviction is what we feel in response to things that we know we can and we should change. And that, as a pastor, is where I live. I, I live in, in, in breaking people free from the chains of shame. But, but breaking them free for a purpose. To feel the conviction. And this is what it means to feel conviction. He says, turn away my reproach, which I fear. Now, the word fear is this word yagor. It means to be afraid, but it means to dread the outcome. Conviction says, don't go in that direction because it's dangerous. Go in this direction because it's healthy. And so to stay within the grasp of shame is to fear a feeling more, to, uh, more than to focus on the facts. And here are the facts. That Proverbs 28, 13 says that he that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whosoever confesseth and forsaketh them shall find mercy. Happy is the man that feareth alway. 
That's, that's aware of the presence of God. But he that hardeneth his heart, when, when we harden our heart to what God's trying to convict us, when we're hardening our heart to what God's trying to change in us, uh, then we don't have humility. And Peter, 1 Peter 5, 5 says, Be clothed with humility, for God resisteth the proud, the hard-hearted, but he giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, before the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. So the judgments of God, they're good, but my judgments are not. Letter B, not only does conviction, it, it corrects deception in areas where we're, our judgment's off, but letter B, acceptance accelerates growth. The only way that you can grow in a church and in your life is through the acceptance of grace. The acceptance of grace is what helps you to grow. And, and that's why churches with, with, with in religion that has so much condemnation, you can't grow. Now, this afternoon, we're going to talk about how the mind works and how the lower, uh, the lower 20% of the mind is the flight or uh, fight you know, response, the, the, the cortex. And, and, I mean, I'm telling you, when, when, when you are in, under condemnation and shame, you can't grow because you're literally just trying to survive. Your, 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 your cortisol levels spike, and, and you're not able. But, friend, when, when you're living the life that God designed you to live, you're living not based on your merit, not based on what you have done or what you do, but based on what he has done. And so this is what David says in the final verse that we're looking at today, verse 40. Look at verse 40. Behold, I have longed after thy precepts. I valued your values. Look at this. Quicken me in whose righteousness? Thy righteousness. So the only thing that makes us alive, the only thing that can make us grow is his righteousness. Now, the word righteous is a word we've studied as a church before. It's the word Sadiq. It, it, it's literally what Jews talk about when you're kosher, you're a Sadiq Jew. I mean, when you take things seriously as a Jew, even today, you're Sadiq. Okay? That's like a category of, of, of someone who's like a traditional Jew. And Sadiq just means internal honesty or, or an innocence of blamelessness in thoughts or actions. But the reality is none of us are blameless. None of us are blameless. And, and none of us can follow what David says in verse 3. It says, they also do no iniquity. So not only are they undefiled, they do no iniquity. Well, that, that cancels every one of us out, right? And, and they walk in his ways. Well, I don't always walk in God's ways. I mean, am I helpless? Well, the reality that David's trying to point out here is that only God can name us righteous when we are forgiven of our guilt. And only our guilt can be forgiven when it's transferred onto someone who's guiltless. And the only one who's ever been guiltless is Jesus Christ. That's why my life verse is 2 Corinthians 5.21. That God, that he, God, made him, Jesus, sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. You can be named Sadiq. You can be named righteous through the blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus received our guilt and our shame and our pain, and he called us the name that shame does not want us to hear. He called us the name forgiven. He called us the name righteous. He called us the name loved. He called us the name accepted. And until we use the truth that God has given us in his word to define our guilt, to root out our shame and condemnation, we can't accept God's forgiveness through Christ to rename the shame, to 
give us a new name that is sanctified, set apart for a specific purpose. And so shame condemns and blames the sinner. Here's the takeaway. But God convicts and accepts the saint. God convicts you and he accepts you. And I want to I illustrate that today. And uh, if you're listening on the radio, I'm going to try to describe this to the best of my ability. But I was praying, Lord, please help me, to, help me to know, like, how can I show the difference between guilt, shame, condemnation, conviction, and, and, and acceptance through grace? Like, God, please show me this. And, and I was realizing that I, I have this pocket knife still. If I were to accidentally cause a wound on my arm or on my hand or somewhere, and it needed to be addressed quickly, I would have a choice, right? And we have some medical professionals here, and I, I would probably ask for your help, but, but the wound represents our sin. The wound represents the, the, the reality that we all face, that, that we have something that hurts, that's something that needs to be addressed, right? That's our sin. The wound is sin. The pain of that wound is our guilt. What we feel as a response of that wound, that's guilt. But we have this awareness that we can either focus on our shame or we can focus on the grace and the acceptance that God gives. And shame is like this, this blanket. If I just cover the wound, it's not going to heal. Shame covers you with a covering that you were never meant to cover. It's a wet blanket. It, it, it only covers the problem. It doesn't heal it. Shame is, is, is a blanket. But grace is a bandage. Grace is a bandage. But before the bandage can be put on, before the wound can be addressed for healing, before we can actually uh, stop the bleeding, right? What has to happen? The antiseptic. The wound has to be cleaned. And the wound being cleaned is the, is the conviction of the Holy Spirit. God uses truth to convict us. And sometimes people say, man, what you said was really abrasive. Like, I mean, you just, like, told it how it was. And it just, man, wasn't, wasn't cool, man. I've had people tell me that. And I, I don't want to hurt anyone ever. But I will tell you that it stings a little bit when you're putting antiseptic, something that cleans out the wound. Conviction cleans the wound of sin and guilt. It removes all of that. And it might even hurt worse. You say, man, before I became a Christian, life was a lot better. Now it got worse. Well, yeah, you're cleaning out those wounds. And so the antiseptic is the conviction of the Holy Spirit through truth. But friend, the grace of God, the grace where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. Man, when you put that, when you put that, the, the bandage of grace, and you wrap that around that area, I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's something that happened in your past or something that's happening currently. But when you bind that up around the truth of the Holy, that the Holy Spirit's given to you from His Word, friend, you can now relabel that wound. Now no longer is it a hurt. Now it's a, a place of healing. Now it's a place that you can look to and you can say, wow, what I meant for evil, God can take and mean for good. Now you can help others to say, hey, don't cover that. Hold on, hold on. Here's, there's something that you can use to heal that. 
Now you can not just be a hurting person. You can be someone who gives healings to others. You can bring the healing of God to others. So the next time we are tempted to be covering ourselves in shame and secrecy and silence, let's open the wound and address it with the word of God. And let's say, God, I'm, I'm not living in my past. I'm not going to live in that moment that I'm ashamed of. I'm not going to live with that guilt and shame and condemnation anymore because you've given me your grace. And your grace says I can get past my past and I can go in the present to your presence and be aware of how awesome you are and to have transformation. Friend, don't live underneath the chains of shame, but live a life of acceptance by the grace of God. Thanks again for listening. If you would like to learn more about our church or how to get connected, check us out online at findnewlife.church or find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook under the handle Find New Life. Have an amazing day.